Good morning. You're here. You made it. Um, let's test this to see if it's true or not. Uh, guys, I got nothing this morning. I haven't prepared anything. <clears throat> Brian has no idea. I have those dreams every Sunday morning. I wake up at about 5 maybe go potty, get back in bed, and then I fall asleep really deep. And I have dreamt that one time I got to church and someone told me, oh, we have somebody else preaching today. (laughs) You show up, can't find your notes. Oh, that is a true, true story for me. Um, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I don't love this weather. Like, is anybody from North Dakota? Minnesota? Minnesota? Like, how do you do this? Like, this is normal for those folks. Like, we are so spoiled in Colorado. We have no idea. And, like, this weather puts me in a bad mood. And I, I was, got up and I had shoveled the, the driveway yesterday. It was cold, but I thought, okay, you know, it's cold. Gloves on, hands are still starting to get a little frostbit. And I thought, oh, this is it, though. It's not going to snow anymore. Woke up to several more inches of snow this morning. And I was just in a bad mood. And I know I've told you this a lot lately, so please pray for me. Like, I, don't, I want to grow old gracefully, not grouchfully. And the, just the, the cold weather and all that, the angstiness that's easy to, to just suppress, you know, push down, and then it wants to just explode at some point in time. And I'm not a good person with my feelings. I don't know about you guys feelings i try to avoid them as much as possible and i don't know why i feel what i feel but as we were worshiping just a few minutes ago i heard the verse in my my mind in my heart jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever he's not changed by my emotions he's not changed by our circumstances. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will be faithful. He will never, ever, ever, ever let you down. He's on the job. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to sleep. He never, never takes a nap, never takes a day off. He is always for us. With that in mind, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you do not change. I pray that for every person listening right now, that that would sink into their hearts and minds, that you do not change. Those circumstances change for us, the weather changes, people change, you do not change. So let us anchor in to that truth and hold on to the hope that we have because of you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we do not need to hear from Scott, we need to hear from the Holy Spirit today. So Lord, in my feeble attempt to prepare something this morning, go beyond that. Lord, I need you. We need you. And we love you. Thank you that you meet our needs. Lord, I pray for every person that's hurting right now, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, financially. God, you are the healer and you're the author and giver of life. Thank you for it. We receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Freedom. Freedom is something that all human beings long for, to to be free, to live in freedom. In the infamous words of William Wallace, right? What did he cry out before he died? Freedom. 
He cried out for freedom. They were under the tyranny of the English, and that's all he wanted was to have his people, his kids, family be free. Americans, we love our freedom, right? You don't tell us Americans what to do. Like, we're, we're Americans. We're free. And it's true. But freedom can also seem, it be elusive to us sometimes because freedom's not always about physical freedom. It's about internal freedom, spiritual freedom. Because the truth is, freedom or free will has got me into some pretty difficult predicaments in my life. How about you? Our exercise of our freedom, we find ourselves in trouble sometimes. God gave freedom to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He created them to steward over the garden, to to be fruitful and multiply. He said, eat of any of the trees in the garden. But there's one, don't eat from it or you'll die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, right away, there they are, being tempted by the serpent to use their free will to go against what God had instructed them to do. You keep reading in the Old Testament, the story of Israel is a struggle for freedom. Going back to Moses and and Israel in Egypt, let my people go, let us out of this bondage. And it's just this story of back and forth from bondage to freedom, bondage to freedom. The Old Covenant in the Old Testament with Israel was about thou shalts and thou shalt nots, right? And ifs. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you won't be blessed. And it led to bondage instead of true freedom. So today we're continuing in a a series that we started last week in the Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. There's actually four letters that Paul wrote. We only have two of them, what we call First and Second Corinthians. And today we're going to be in Second Corinthians 3. And before I get into the context of this, um, we've titled this series, Promises, Promises. Because Second Corinthians 1.20 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Every promise God has made is found in the person of Jesus. And it says that we say amen to those promises. By us, the amen means so be it. Let it be done. Today we're going to talk about the promise of freedom. And we're going to see that in in 2 Corinthians 3. But the context of what Paul is talking to the Corinthian church is goes back to Moses and in the book of Exodus when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai and he would speak with God. He didn't see God, but he would speak with God. And that's where he got the letters and the Ten Commandments. You've all seen Charlton Heston, right? The movie. It was supposed to be funny. Um, thank you. But he would, he would come down from the mountain and he would have the glory of God shining on him. And it says the people were afraid to interact with Moses. Let's read it in its context. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 29. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone or was glowing, because of his speaking with God. 
So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, or again was glowing, and they were afraid to approach him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face shone. So Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with him. Kind of weird, right? Like, what's going on here? Obviously, Moses is experiencing the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's literally experiencing His presence, His glory, in what was going on here. But what we're going to see, how Paul references this very passage from Exodus 34 in 2 Corinthians 3, we're going to see how the new covenant in Jesus Christ is better than anything that happened with Moses. That Moses' covenant was great and it was beautiful, but you don't stop there. It all pointed to the new covenant in the person and work of Jesus Christ who was going to be the fulfillment of the law of Moses and all the things that went went with that and how the new covenant brings freedom. I got to ask myself this question and I'm going to ask you as we trek through this chapter. Are you experiencing freedom internally, spiritually, emotionally, or is there bondage? Because if there is bondage and there is a lack of freedom, this is going to be really good news for you this morning. First thing about the new covenant Paul's going to teach us is that it changes hearts. The new covenant changes our hearts. The power of the law doesn't change our hearts. We're going to see how Paul works through this. The the law doesn't change hearts. The new covenant, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is who changes us. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all people revealing yourselves that you are a letter of Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Remember the context of Corinthians, that 2 Corinthians is very personal. Paul, the, the Corinthian church really hurt him. And they were questioning his apostleship and, and all that had happened because of some false teachers that had come in behind him. And some of these, he has some kind of smart aleck rhetorical questions that he's doing as you read through 2 Corinthians. Always keep that in mind. But the truth is, the law cannot change our hearts. How many obey the speed limit and you're like, oh, thank you for a 40 mile an hour speed limit. This is wonderful. Like, it doesn't, no, you obey it because it's the right thing to do, but it, it doesn't, doesn't change your heart. In many ways, the law 
and Paul talks about this in Romans, can make things worse if we don't understand the use of the law, the purpose of the law. When I say the law, I mean the law of Moses. There was a, a group of, of false teachers that you see it in, in Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, a lot of Paul's letters where these teachers called the Judaizers would come in after Paul had left. He, he stayed with the Corinthian church for a year and a half, we're told, in Acts. And after he would leave, the Judaizers would come in behind Paul's teaching, and they would say, yes, follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, but you Gentiles have to become Jewish. You have to practice the law of Moses. The whole book of Galatians is where Paul's saying, no, that's not what this is about. We're in a new covenant. That's been, the old covenant's been fulfilled in Christ. And in Acts chapter 15, after Paul's first missionary journey, they were reporting back to the, the Jewish leaders of the church, like James, the half-brother of Jesus, that, that these Gentiles, these non-Jews, were coming to faith in Jesus. But the Judaizers were coming in and saying they also had to practice the law of Moses. And so in Acts 15, if you follow this up, they have what they call the Jerusalem Council. And they decide very few little things they tell the Gentile church to do. And there's a statement in Acts 15.10 where James says, are we going to put on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that we or our ancestors have not been able to bear? Like, are we going to tell them to obey laws that we don't even obey ourselves and our ancestors couldn't even obey? important. The new covenant changes hearts. Secondly, the new covenant gives life. A changed heart leads to freedom. Life leads to freedom, the kind of life that God wants for us. Paul continues, such is the confidence we have toward God through Christ. Not that we are adequate in ourselves so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Catch that. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Romans 8.2 says that, 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit has given us new life and set us free from the law of sin and death. Important, important promise. Now this morning, let me give you an illustration of the difference between law and gospel or new covenant, old covenant. You probably stood before a mirror this morning, right? When you primped your hair, your hair looks great, you guys look great. You, you, you got all, all ready for church on this freezing day. But let's just say it wasn't minus 2,000 out like it is right now. And let's say you, before you got ready to take your shower or whatever, you worked out in your garden or you worked outside and you got dirt on your hands, maybe even dirt on your face. And as you look in the mirror, you say, oh, I got stuff all over my face. Huh, I better do something about that. Let's take the mirror off the wall and, and I'll try to get the dirt off with a mirror. Pretty stupid, right? Like you're trying to get dirt off with a mirror. That's not the job of the mirror. The job of soap and water 
is to get the dirt off your face and off your hands. The job of the mirror is to simply show you where the dirt is. The law's job, according to Paul, was to show us our sin, to show us that we had dirt on our face, so to speak. The job of the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus is to cleanse us, to make us clean. So if you're in bondage, you might be not experiencing freedom. You might be trying to wash with the mirror by your lists, by your rules, your do's and don'ts. And if I've been a good boy today, then God will bless me. If I haven't been a good boy, oh, I'm probably not going to get blessed. Push that away. That's washing with a mirror. I hope you never forget this when you look in the mirror next time. You wash with soap and water, not the mirror. The law is good. It has a purpose. We don't do away with any of it, but its purpose is to show us that we need Jesus and how to actually find that cleansing. The law actually, Paul says, arouses the sinful nature. Strong language in Romans 7. Um, I wasn't raised in a, a Christian home where we went to church regularly or any of that, no discipleship. My parents didn't become believers until they were like close to 50. I was a freshman in college. But when I was in like ninth and 10th grade, someone had shared Jesus with me. And I actually like prayed a prayer and all that and was going to try and, and walk with Jesus. But what happened is I just became kind of religious. And I tried to be a good boy. I tried to not cuss. I tried to not uh, think about girls or this or that, or I wasn't going to party. And the more I did that, the more difficult all that became. Anybody relate? The more you, say, the more you think about something you're not supposed to do, the more you want to do that very thing. And me and my friend Chris, he was going to follow Jesus. He was my little religious buddy. And we decided that um, when... We would, we would be honest with each other that we would calculate how many cuss words we said during class or school. And at the end of the day, I had to tell him how many cuss words I said. And he had to tell me. And the punishment was we got to punch each other in the shoulder as hard as we could for each cuss word. We'd be like, oh, turn, get, get this one. It's a rough day today. And... You know, like we knew we were falling short, but we definitely went the wrong route to try to find freedom from falling short. And we do that so, so often in our walks with Jesus. Punching each other in the shoulder did not help my mouth at all, let me tell you. Probably made it worse while he was punching me. (laughs) New Covenant gives life, it gives freedom, it changes hearts, and then the new covenant brings true righteousness. It brings true righteousness. God bless you. Um, That was a good one. That was like my, my sneezes. True righteousness is Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus and you see what holiness is. You see what true righteousness is. There is cultural righteousness. There's our own do's and don'ts and things that we come up with, our lists that we think are righteousness because we avoid these things and we do these things and still not walking in true righteousness. The new covenant brings a righteousness that is so true and so beautiful. Here's a pretty decent amount of Scripture, but listen to this. But if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones... (laughs) 
came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it, the new covenant. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which, which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away. Catch Paul interlocking that Exodus passage here. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Camp there a little bit. As I was reading this years ago, the question hit my mind. What do we do individually and maybe as the church that veils the gospel? We put a veil over the gospel with our lists. A good Christian does da, 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 da. A good Christian doesn't do da, 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 da. And we veil the pureness of the gospel. Maybe ask yourself, where have I veiled the gospel? Because when you veil the gospel, you're not living in freedom. You're not living in the freedom to, to live the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. We can veil the gospel, I think, in two extremes. One would be legalism, where we're trying to live in do's and don'ts. But then the other side of veiling the gospel is, I need an L word, so licentiousness or liberal approach to life. That because I'm under grace, I can live however I want to. No, that veils the gospel too. Because the gospel transforms us. It transforms our behavior. It transforms our minds. It transforms our habits. It transforms our relationships. So both of those extremes, let's avoid. And let's live in the, in the balance of true righteousness. Never forget that the purpose of God's commands are always for our good. If he says to do something, it's because he loves you. If he says not to do something, it's because he loves you and he wants what's best for you and I. The fear of the Lord is a healthy respect for God's definition of right and wrong. A healthy respect for what God says is good and evil. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And what does the Scripture say over and over? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To let God do that for us. And then the new covenant, lastly, brings freedom. All those other things were steps towards truly living in freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. 
just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We need to know how to live in that experiential freedom. I think when I think of freedom, I think of freedom from and freedom to. We're free from sin, self-destruction, the fear of death, guilt, shame, performing for God, the hamster wheel, have I done enough, have I done enough, all of that stuff. We're free from, from the power of the evil one. Greater is he who lives in us than he who is in this world. But then we're free to live. We're free to love. We're free to enjoy. The early church, I'm fascinated by the early church. Like I love to read the church fathers and mothers from like the first couple centuries of the church. And they lived under intense persecution. Intense. You know, there are people in the world today, many, millions of Christians, who are persecuted because they love Jesus, because they follow Jesus. Well, that was the whole story of the early church. And Rome persecuted them because they didn't worship, you know, the emperor. The religious persecuted them because they said Jesus is the Messiah. And they would put them in prison. And they would, they would, they would persecute them, punish them. But you know what? Putting them in a jail cell did not take away their freedom. It doesn't take away their freedom. They were still free because they were, they were waiting for the Lord. They were waiting for the life to come. They weren't so stuck in this life and in this world that they could see beyond their circumstances. They were truly free. We're going to go back into that song that He's always loved us. And I want, as, as we move it into that, I want you to answer this question in your heart. Where in your life are you not experiencing freedom? Where are you not experiencing that? Maybe another way of saying this is where might there be some kind of bondage? Is it a habit? Is it anger? Restlessness? Fear? Worry? The list is, could go on and on and on. And I know we all experience those things. But here's what I know about the goodness of God. He wants you to experience freedom. That's what you're longing for. It doesn't mean every day we're going to have this perfect experience all the time. We're human. But let's let walking in freedom become the norm versus not feeling like we're free. Will you stand with me? If you'd like to, during uh, the singing of this chorus... Um, we have some communion stuff in the back corner over there and uh, Vicki and Joe will be back there and they can help pray with you and take communion with you or if you want to after we sing that's always available on the Sundays we don't corporately take communion but Lord as we sing let us experience freedom let us experience real joy real peace real hope let us experience you Holy Spirit, you are God. You are our personal presence with us of Jesus and the Father. 
Fill us fresh and new. In Jesus' name. say that with me? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say this with me. I'm free. I'm free. We are free. And if there's any voice that tries to argue with you that you're not free, yeah, okay, Scott, you're really free. What about this? What about that? You're free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I want us to live like that. Enjoy life like that and help others, right? That's, that's, that's what the good news is good news. It's not bad news, it's great news. It's the best news we could ever hear, that we've been set free from sin, death, and the evil one. Does not have power over you and I anymore. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May you be fully aware of the presence of the Spirit of God who gives freedom. May you live in an awareness that He who the Son sets free is free indeed. May you walk in power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the joy, peace that the Holy Spirit gives. And may you spread this good news wherever you go. To his glory we pray. Amen.